You know, folks, many of us will look up in the sky, we'll see planes flying all over the place. Some of us have been in those planes. Some of us even work for individuals who are in the field of aviation. You all know that we have a great CAL FIRE aviation program, but do you know the history of that program and how it all started? From the very first day till now, there's never been a, a time where we have not continually progressed and advanced our aviation program. It's pretty, it's pretty neat to actually look at year after year. Well, in this bonus episode, folks, we've got the experts here, and they're going to give us a great history lesson. Get out your pen and paper, get out your tablets, get ready for an amazing lesson on the history of CAL FIRE's aviation program. Let's get cooking. All right, another podcast with the Chief. Uh, Chief Tyler, good day to you, sir. How's everything going? It is a good day. It is a good day. Thank good, you. good. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, so today we are going to be speaking with uh, Assistant Deputy Director Jake Sholand, who is in charge of fire protection operations, uh, in charge of mobile equipment and aviation. Good to see you, sir. How's everything going for you today? It's great, Monty. Thanks for having me in good. this morning. It is so nice to have you. It's really good to get your perspective uh, today with the chief and I and kind of lay down some of how it is that we've become such a renowned uh, aviation program. Uh, I always talk about the fact, and I'm so proud of the fact that our department is renowned worldwide for many of the things that we do, but the aviation program is like really one of the big pieces of, of how we're so successful uh, in our department. And so uh, Chief Sholand, uh, maybe you and Chief Tyler can talk a little bit about the history of our aviation program. Bring us all up to speed uh, to talk about how did we get here? How did we get so dang good with what it is that we do in the world of aviation and mobile? Well, first, let's, uh, let's say how did we get so good to where we are today? It's, uh, it, it's about the people who brought this program up to uh, where it is today. From the his history of, uh, of the program, uh, to where we are. So it has taken uh, the team as a whole to get us to where we are, to make us who we are today. And really, you know, when we think about the aviation program, um, we think about, you know, where it was proposed all the way back to 1931. And then, uh, and then we had uh, World War II uh, that, uh, that came about and uh, really didn't get discussed again until the late 1940s. Um, so somewhere around 1957, 1954 to 1957, uh, we used several small air tankers on a call when needed basis. Um, and it wasn't really until 1958 that, uh, that Cal Fire itself first contracted for uh, fixed wing uh, air tanker services across the state with various companies that were doing it. By uh, the 60s and into the 70s, the aviation program um, really started building itself as part of the department and as part of the department's mobile equipment program. And, and, I, and those of you that know me will know that I squirrel a lot, right? And so <laughs> it's all good. Over a period of time, um, we have seen ourselves where uh, there was a period of time in which uh, mobile equipment and aviation were combined as a single program. And that's where we're talking about the 1960s and 70s. Uh, I guess it was probably about 
73-74 that um, the aviation management unit was established uh, and became its own program out from under uh, mobile equipment. But even after that, there were periods of times in which, referred to as wings and wheels, uh, was its own program. Um, and then they rolled under uh, fire protection operations um, and then it really wasn't until uh, more recently that we split out uh, fire protection operations, the assistant deputy director uh, from operations, and then bringing back mobile equipment, the aviation management unit. Obviously, our predecessors before us saw a vision that thought it would work, and we rolled away from it, and then we rolled back to it. Uh, and really, it is about the advancements that are uh, have been brought forward in the aviation program and the advancements to come that... Uh, really made us realize the workload was there to reestablish uh, a separation of Chief Sholin's position. It was really around uh, the early 70s in which the department invested in uh, 14 of our piston-powered um, S2As, not S2Ts. Uh, you know, a lot of people refer to our aircraft today as S2Ts, as those turboprops, but before that was the S2A models. And uh, you could really hear uh, those aircraft coming. Um, yeah, very from, iconic sound. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's almost like going from the Super Huey to, to the uh, Blackhawk. There's just a very distinctive sound of those going uh, from the A to the, uh, to the T model. Uh, and, and really, you know, Grumman uh, is one of our um, key aircraft uh, types. Um, but we also used... Uh, a, a variety of other types of aircrafts, the PBYs, and uh, yeah. I don't know if there were others. Uh, TBM, uh, Grumman F's, uh, F7Fs were in there. Uh, the earliest ones that we contracted were actually N3N and, and Stearman uh, biplanes from the World War II area was when um, uh, that was the first uh, aircraft that we contracted on a call when needed basis. Yeah. And then we actually went into the more exclusive use style contracts. That's where you had the B-17 come in with the other aircraft mentioned um there were several other but originally there was five um vendors under contract that provided services with the variety of planes that were mentioned yeah that's really cool very nice uh well and, and that was a lot about our fixed wing right so um probably 1980 1981 i think it was probably 81 was uh we really entered uh the fleet of using vietnam era uh huey helicopters the uh one F, F model, not the H model that uh, we recently transitioned out. Well, actually, let me clarify that we're still in uh, in Northern California and in, in Humboldt, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Del Norte, and in Lassen Modoc. We're still in those. And then, of course, we're using the UH 1H helicopter still for uh, prescribed fire, helitorch type activities. Uh, so that was the intro of, um, as we already said, the Super Huey helicopter. And uh, it was the backbone and the staple. Uh, really, of our rotary wing aircraft program. Um, and then, you know, as we continue to advance uh, the Huey program, we uh, started looking at other uh, opportunities and other avenues as well mm -hmm. of what that Huey could do. And we talked about, you know, we talked about prescribed fire, helitorches, uh, things like that. But uh, it was an opportunity in which people like, uh, Jake and his predecessors um, really looked at doing things like, uh, well, what was initially a short haul program, right? And uh, and 
You know, I can't speak, maybe Jake can a little bit more about the transition from short haul to uh, to the Goodrich hoist that we had available to us. But the important thing was um, how did we get approval to be able to do that? Well, short haul and uh, the hoist program was originally to uh, to evacuate injured firefighters off the fire lines. And then, of course, having that resource available moved us into being able to assist um, as a rescue helicopter uh, to be able to transition patients from remote areas into um, into an area where it could be transferred into an air ambulance or something of that nature. Any uh, any any thoughts about that program? That, well, the evolution of the um, for the short haul and the rescue of the firefighters on the fire line that was a pretty critical in terms of being a remote area, rough terrain, trying to get somebody out to the best care, you know, within that golden hour, and so. Under that short haul program, it was um, it was uh, it served us really well. Um, at the same time, you know, as things evolved in aircraft to get more um, better performance and capability, and you also um, have the the more effective safety within the hoist system, we did switch over from short haul to hoist. A um, lot safer for the flight profile for the crews going up and down. And uh, one transition from then till now on the Hawk was we never carried the hoist on the helicopter. It was actually stored in the helitender, and when they needed to perform that operation, they'd have right. to go land, reconfigure, right. put the hoist back in the helicopter, then then affect the rescue. Whereas today, um, every time we're in flight, we have the hoist with us on the Cal Fire Hawk now. So it's, out yeah. of all this conversation, honestly, from the very first day till now, there's never been a, a time where we have not continually progressed and advanced our aviation program. It's pretty, it's pretty neat to actually look at year after year the aircraft might not have changed um, for, for, you know, 10, 12 right. years, but within that model of aircraft, they All actually improved the, the capabilities, yeah. different yeah. engines, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's, it's really nice to see where we've come to today. And it's really, looking back, there hasn't been any slowdown. And every year there's been a, a, an improvement within the program. That's so amazing. And I think about even, you know, in my career, starting off in the department, uh, in our what was then called public affairs office and doing uh, articles about different facets of the of the department and I specifically remember us doing an article about short haul rescue wow. and how that worked and it's so cool to hear you two talk about that uh, because it brings back those memories of just being so amazed at all the different work and the the, the technical aspects the mechanics of how we do what we do and that oh it's it's so cool to hear that stuff man so really really amazing anything else about our history uh you got you two that that really we want to drive home for folks about our aviation or mobile equipment programs yeah so uh so i'm going to put jake on the spot his transition into the aviation program was at the grass valley air attack base right correct and uh, was that a, as a captain or as a battalion chief as a battalion chief as a battalion chief so um so when you got to grass valley uh what type of air tactical aircraft were you flying? I was in an OV-10. So um, maybe since uh, that was your real entry into the program, uh, can you tell the group, the audience, about uh, about our air tactical aircraft, the background there? Absolutely. So that again, back in the um, 70s, we were early 70s when we started uh, with our own fleet, uh, contract and service for our own fleet. We, we ended up initially using like Cessna 182s. Oh, yeah. Um, which for the initial air attack, they were just um, slow, uh, didn't have, you know, couldn't meet the speed capability, the safety capability at that time. And so all our evolution is always tied to safety. Right. Primary and the second one has always been enhanced right. capability. Um, the third one is usually just just the nuance of, of, of the resource. So from there, they went to the O2, 
uh, model, which was a push-pull aircraft. They called it, had a propeller in the front of the aircraft and one directly behind you. It still had a twin tail like mm-hmm. the OB-10, mm-hmm. um, a smaller aircraft, um, piston-powered. So, again, it was... Wasn't fast enough as we transitioned the the S twos into the turbo fleet. We still had the O twos, and now they were they were slower um, to respond to 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 match that speed of the air tanker. But also they they had a higher failure rate with those. Just as the same with the air tankers right. with the piston engines, there was a high right. failure rate in those, which was a safety concern. Same thing happened with the O two. There was a safety concern if you lost an engine. So ultimately, it, it evolved into a turbo prop of the OV ten. Uh, the same purpose for those aircraft, uh, as far as in the um, in the military use, it was forward aircraft for forward control. Um, really, the same purpose that we use today is to see where the threat is, which is the fire for us, and then where the the friendly forces are, which is our firefighters, and, and, and converge those. Um, yeah. And so, it's same purpose. Um, what we like about the OV10, which which is phenomenal, is its its visibility, um, its its uh, dexterity that has it, um, its safety. Um, uh, for the for the air crew in terms of performance, you know, should you lose an engine or, or be in a flight condition, the only real one negative we have is it's not a pressurized aircraft, and so we're limited flying um, fires over ten thousand feet above ground limit. Yeah. So and really that's it. Otherwise, it served us really well, and I I, I don't see things changing uh, anywhere near in the future because there's not another aircraft that provides that. the visibility, yeah. which is what you truly need. That's amazing. Yeah, it is interesting uh, when you think about uh, some of the aircraft we're flying, whether it be the S-2, the OV-10. You know, the Aviation Management Unit and Tactical Air Operations are constantly looking for uh, airframes that are available to us. And I think the last three OV-10s that just came in, uh, we might have acquired from NASA. uh, Flew them back, flew two of them back, brought one of them back in another method. I'm not sure how, but... um, but that is about strategic planning and planning for the future. And we'll talk about that a little bit in the, uh, in the C-130 program of how we intend to extend the life of the S-2. But back to the S-2, you know, I hit on this a little bit already. The, um, the S-2A model went to the T model. That was between about 1996 and yeah. 2005 mm-hmm. uh, to make them faster and more maneuverable, safer, um, and depending on where they're flying, elevation temperature-wise is how much payload could they uh, could they carry. So um, that really uh, that really improved that fleet of aircraft. And then uh, you know before we started uh, this podcast today, um, Chief Sholin and I were talking about uh, VLATs. So uh, I'm going to pass it back to you again on uh, on a little bit of the history of how did we integrate uh, the very large air tankers. Very large air tanker was a concept that came out of out of the private sector, went into the governor's office originally uh, with the concept, the uh, Governor Schwarzenegger's administration, who then came back to the department um, and asked, to, asked for the agency to look into it and see if it was valuable. Um, that was conducted down at Victorville um, with the company, uh, with Tanker 10 company, and then ultimately um, the development and involvement of that proved to be beneficial where we actually put it in, into use. Um, which added, had us to increase our capability in terms of a, a lead plane profile that yeah. we didn't have in the, in the department before. So we, we completed that. There was a trip that went to um, the first fire was on the Sawtooth fire. Yeah. And um, after that, there was a road show that ultimately took, took the, the two planes, our, our OV-10 and the, the tanker, up to Washington to fight several fires. Um, I want to say for maybe a week, maybe two weeks maximum, mm-hmm. and then they came back home, and that was the beginning of it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. To, to, to where we are today and uh, again that even gets us into well those were the very large air tankers and then we have large air tankers and that's kind of where our uh c-130 mission profile will will come in into that model but um 
it, it can't go without saying that in the evolution of the aviation program, we've also had some budget setbacks, right? And budget setbacks were uh, that, um, and we've had some budget successes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought maybe we could talk about that in the chronology as well. And, um, and you know, there was a point in time in which uh, we moved our S2s around because of some budget reductions. We closed the Fresno Air Attack Base mm-hmm. at one time. Mm-hmm. Um and then uh, through our cooperative agreement with uh, the San Diego unit and uh, the San Diego County Sheriff's Department, we're able to add, you know, we talk about 10 state helicopters, but there actually is an 11th cooperative agreement helicopter uh, that is staffed with state employees uh, in the San Diego unit. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that's a great program as well. So really when we talk about it, we have 11 staffed helicopters across the state. That's not including all of our local government partners yeah. who – are buying their own helicopters or transitioning to the S-70 uh, helicopter Blackhawk program. Uh, but even before that, they were operating in federal excess UH-1H uh, helicopters uh, that uh, were through federal excess through the Department of Ag and through, uh, through us to them uh, to be able to operate those helicopters as well. But um, looking back... Um, we are recovering. It's taken a long time, but mm-hmm. we're recovering from some of that. And, and uh, you know, we look back at 2003, the Cedar Fire, um, and uh, what came out of the Blue Ribbon Commission report uh, post the Cedar Fire. Uh, and part of that designated in the Blue Ribbon Commission all the way back in 2003 that, um, well, I guess it was probably published in 2004, uh, even though it's referred to as the 2003 Blue yeah. Ribbon Commission report. Um, and it and it referenced in there that we needed to replace our rotary wing helicopters mm-hmm. and we needed to transition into 24-hour operations. Well, even though it was designated in 2003, um, you know, we have budget processes to go through. Right. And so it took until 2014 for us to finally uh, gain uh, some momentum on the Blue Ribbon Commission uh, recommendations and entered into the ability with the Department of General Services and approval by the administration and the legislature to be able to finally transition our UH-1H helicopters into a new platform. And boy, what a process that was of determining what the new future next generation rotary wing program was going to be yeah you know at one point it could have been um a uh airbus model it could have been a leonardo augusta westland model um and ultimately at the end of the day we ended up with a uh, sikorsky uh, s70i model aircraft um that uh was originally approved uh, I believe in 1415, to be able to purchase one, mm-hmm. um, which opened up the contracting process. At the end of the day, uh, we weren't able to, um, well, we found opportunities and the legislature and the administration approved purchasing uh, a total of 11 more for a total of 12 uh, of the S-70Is under contract uh, to be able to replace uh, replace our UH-1H model helicopter. Right. And... Um, and Chief Sholin and company and uh, his program and aviation management unit are currently working through that uh, and have been able to transition, uh, as I think I said earlier, all but um, uh, the, the 
helicopter at Bieber and uh, and Neyland, Neyland. Uh, was the other one, and they'll be transitioning, I think, here probably in the next year. Um, we found because we were looking at uh, an opportunity. I keep hitting this. Uh, <laughs> we were at an opportunity to uh, to see that we were going to start flying twenty four hour operations. That uh, maintenance was going to increase. So that's kind of what slowed the roll a little bit on uh, getting all ten of our active state bases uh, transitioned into the S seventy I. And in fact, uh, last year the administration approved us buying uh, four additional S-70I helicopters. Uh, so helicopter 13, which will be a uh, maintenance reserve platform, um, should come to McClellan middle of January, Correct. I believe. And then we'll be yeah. looking forward to the... Uh, the other three helicopters uh, making their way in behind that for a total of 16 uh, S-70I helicopters that we'll have at 10 of our uh, our state bases across the state and have the other aircraft, of course, available for surge and uh, maintenance reserves and other needs that we have as we continue to transition the uh, five primary bases to 24-hour operations. And it has always been important to me uh, to reiterate um, to everyone that that we will we will continue to transition into a twenty four hour operation when uh, the crew is comfortable, when the pilot is comfortable, when the battalion chief at the airbase is comfortable, right. when uh, the unit chief is comfortable, when the program is comfortable. You know, they're they're we're we're going into this new space of right. night vision goggles, and we know that some of our partners had already been doing this, but uh, it's important that we do it right. Right. So and safely and safely. Yeah. So right. uh, transitioning Vina and uh, Hemet Ryan, you know, I say Hemet Ryan, it's interesting. I'm just going to make a plug that uh, I just thought about this, that we're sitting in yes. uh, the Hemet Ryan room at yes. Sacramento headquarters. To as do we're this doing podcast. That. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. So um, we were able to purchase those uh, additional S70Is uh, to uh, to really expand our fleet. At the same time, we recognize that um, we have been working on a C-130 program for a long time. And uh, first, that C-130 program was through uh, an agreement with the Department of Agriculture, U.S. Forest Service, ultimately because in part that they weren't funded for operation and maintenance, uh, that that program um, uh, ended and was returned, and the state of California was given an opportunity in 2018 to uh, pick up where that program left off, mm -hmm. and we continue mm -hmm. that today. Well, we recognize through the pandemic and supply chain issues um, that, uh, that those aircraft are still delayed. We should have had some of them flying by now. But in recognition of that, uh, here last, last fire year, this fire year, and next fire year, uh, we were given some additional funding for exclusive use aircraft. Right. Uh, we were able to strategically place those um, helitankers, uh, Type 1 helicopters across the state, a couple of Type 2s as well, uh, just a few fixed-wing aircraft, which have really uh, supported those on the ground uh, in, in containing uh, fires, keeping fires small. Uh, and while, you know, we'll give some plug to Mother Nature for her efforts, uh, or Mother Nature's efforts this year, uh, we 
still have to give a lot of credit to the women and men on the ground who absolutely really uh, absolutely. and and quite honestly we're talking about aviation so those in the air as well yeah. uh, who <laughs> are keeping these uh, fires small you know I'm going to end here uh, that I talk about all these great operations uh, yeah. but we are you know I'll use the old term we are a total force right and so uh, talking about all all this expansion and the chronology well we couldn't do that without um, without our, our administrative support staff who are working with DGS, writing contracts, uh, preparing uh, the funding sources uh, for us to be able to do what we do on the ground. So I have to give a plug and an acknowledgement to them as well. Absolutely. Thank you, Chief. And I know I've been a part of that uh, that that total force and that work to get that stuff done. And I know, Chief Sholin, thank you for all of the work that you've done. Uh, folks, I just have to say, when you want to want to hear about the history of our aviation program, you just heard a whole lot that gives a really good uh, summary and catch up for those of you who haven't been aware uh, of our aviation program and how it all works. Uh, that was amazing to hear, Chief. So I want to thank you uh, for that history. It was really, really good. Well, folks, that's it. That is our bonus episode on the history of CAL FIRE's aviation program. We're going to see you on the next episode, hopefully very soon. Until then, we're going to consider this episode cooked. Have a great day.